Hello, everybody. It is once again time to sing the praises of Fangoria. This classic magazine has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. The highly collectible publication comes right to your door four times each year, and each issue of Fangoria is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including both Scott and I from time to time. Hint, hint, I may be uh, in the middle of writing a uh, KingCast-related piece in the next issue as we speak this high quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine so if you want to join in on the fun you'll need to subscribe to do that all you have to do is head on over to fangoria.com and sign up and since kingcast listeners are in the family you can enter in the promo code kingcast at checkout to save a whopping 25 percent off your entire order now with all of that said on with the show My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad love! Bad love! Guys, we're gonna go see a dead body. Well, sometimes, that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. This week's guest absolutely does not need an elaborate introduction, but we are going to provide one anyway because we are locked into tradition here at the KingCast. And also, <laughs> we uh, we respect our guests. You know him from his long-running, iconic work on Saturday Night Live, such films as Superbad, Tropic Thunder, The Skeleton Twins, Trainwreck, and, of course, 2000. 19's it chapter two but today he's joining us in the lead up to the highly anticipated new season of barry on hbo and to discuss well we are not entirely clear on that but we will get there eventually <laughs> ladies and gentlemen please welcome mr bill Hader. bill how are you doing today i'm good i'm doing good I feel, man. I feel weird calling you bill should i not because like bill sounds too familiar but also <laughs> mr Hader sounds a little too yeah, you, sucky, you know what I mean? Yeah, you can call me Bill. Most people call me Bill. <laughs> okay. William. Well, William. I would assume so. Yeah. Yes. We had a friend of uh, who I uh, who I think is a, a, a somewhat mutual friend of ours on the show recently doing a bonus episode about all the Saturday Night Live sketches that had anything to do with Stephen King. And you came up in the uh, process of that episode. This right. is with uh, Mike Ryan. Uh, I guess my first question for you is in that sketch where you are playing King to Maya Angelou's prankster. Well, I, I would just like to discuss with you the pathos that you that you brought to, <laughs> to this performance and, you know, how you how you got inside the mind of, of oh, King for that. <laughs> no, I mean, I think when I first started SNL, it was like, oh, we should have you play Stephen King in something. And uh, I was like, um, oh, why? Because I look like him? <laughs> and they were like, yes. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I would get that. I've gotten that kind of a lot in my life that it's like, oh, you kind of look like Stephen King, especially uh, in Creep Show. 
Um, yes. had a haircut like that uh, right. in the early 2000s, people were and like, you, <laughs> right. and you were always uh, covered in, in moss as well. I was always in overalls well. covered in moss, and, and I acted broadly all the time. Big eyes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Meteor shit. Silent movie. Yeah. <laughs> so straight. Like, even silent movie actors would be like, yee, can bring it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, the, actually, the first thing I played as Stephen King was something that never went on air. It was um, Zach Cannon, who is a co creator of um, I Think You Should Leave, which is a Tim mm-hmm, right. funny show with Tim Robinson. And, and, and he did Detroiters with Tim, and he, he's just a really funny guy. He wrote a thing once where I was Stephen King just blurbing things because Stephen King was a lot of blurbs. <laughs> You're right. And so it was him blurbing like books, and then it turned him just blurbing like everyday objects like spoons and like these spoons will knock your socks off or whatever it was. <laughs> you know, or like, you know, this water hose kept me up all night, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> and then, uh, I remember the line that got us. He's like, the proof is in the blurbs. That's what I <laughs> I like. I like that your uh, King impression does not lean into the main accent. As no, you- no. It's kind of my impression of him around the office. John Mulaney and I used to do it was him. The writing style was always kind of more folksy, you know, so it was all kind of like I would go down to the diner and eat a chili cheeseburger. You know, the kind of burger when you eat it, the chili runs down your chin onto the, you know. <laughs> it's like uh, he had a new 57 Cadillac. You know, the kind of car when the, like. <laughs> and so we Sucking would on a chili dog outside the Tasty chili Freeze. Dog. Yeah, it's Tasty Freeze. Yeah. And that's when <laughs> the bad guy, Mayor Big Jim, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You yeah. know, the kind of mayor that when they come in, they literally just kick the dog to death. And the- <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you clearly know your kingship. Yeah, I know. So it was all very, uh, yeah, we would just walk around going, you know. <laughs> well, I, I, I do want to give you props for like, you only have like two lines in that whole uh, Maya Angelou sketch, <laughs> but it is so legit. Stephen King. The only other Stephen King uh, uh, appearance that we found on SNL was John Lovitz oh, wow. doing Stephen King, and of course he's doing it as John Lovitz. So yeah. it's just yeah. the the whole joke. It was a Weekend Update joke, and he oh, was yeah, he was like uh, essentially writing a novel as he was appearing on the show. So he was like constantly typing. Is all about his output. How he's always got something yeah. new, hey, and yes, it's and it's just love. It's going. I'm I'm John. You know, acting. You know, it's like yeah. him just doing that. So it's uh, y- you definitely hold the title for for the most authentic Stephen King on, oh, on man. SNL. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I think it just comes from being a a fan of it, and and I remember being a kid and listening to um i listened to needful things on tape on audio uh-huh. at all the tapes and he reads it and i just remember you know yeah just his voice was really it would like lull you into a nice state of you know <laughs> right it was very nice uh and then it's, uh, it's a it's it's a a soothing voice to yeah. hear while you're hearing about uh, a woman who puts on sunglasses who furiously masturbates. 
yeah. the, the, the ghost of Elvis Aaron Presley. You know, the kind of glasses when you put them on, you <laughs> feel the cold rim on the top of your nose. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, yeah, this whole thing is to kind of lull you into a, a place of like, oh, I've, I've been here, I know these people. And he'll do right. that for like 300 pages. Where you're like, oh, the man who works at the post office. Oh, this, the bright spring day and all this. This is so nice. And then, yeah. Then it's, yeah. Then it's off to the races. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's, yeah. Then it's the woman masturbating to the, <laughs> you know, or something creepy happens. But he's done a good job at kind of pacing you into that world. Right. We're talking to you on the eve of the new season of Barry hitting. Dark comedy seems like a thing that is maybe not super working these days, but Barry has succeeded. You know, I feel like I feel like there's a, a general temperament of like, I just want like fun shit and turn my brain off at the door sort of entertainment. And I also feel like Barry is delivering more of a, a Breaking Bad experience or, mm-hmm. you know, something something with more substance, something with more darkness, even though it's very funny. And I'm sort of curious if at the beginning of this, you expected it to be uh, as embraced as much as it has been. Oh, that's That's funny. I never know. I mean, I'm not on social media. And you make this, you're kind of like in a weird little laboratory by yourself and then you put it out in the world and then you kind of go, well, I mean, the people who worked on it seem to like it, you know what I mean? But like, right. I don't really hear, I mean, I'm not being falsely modest or what I mean, I'm being just genuine, like I don't really hear about it that much. So when you say like, oh, universally, that's like, I don't necessarily feel that unless it's like somebody comes up to me and says hey i like the show and hmm. and that happens sometimes but i still get like oh snl or something like that but I, it does feel like people enjoy it i mean i like making it but it's definitely weird that the i think it's a comedy just by the fact that it's like 30 minutes we just kind of view it as like a you know a story and mm-hmm. you just like these characters and you put them all in kind of a room and some scenes are funny and then especially this season some things are incredibly brutal but as long as it feels honest and kind of earned then you're you know i'm I'm, it feels right you know it definitely does and and, and it kind of scratches an an itch i didn't know that i had in a weird way watching that show just seeing like you had that great episode that goes off the rails in in season two with the the karate karate karate. episode right yeah yeah and and like i'd love that there can be a show that'll throw a curveball out like that you yeah. know what i mean yeah that and it totally fits it doesn't take away from the drama of, of the show it doesn't take away from the real stakes that are in this this series i i'm just gonna join scott and say that i love barry uh, i don't know a single person who doesn't love barry so that's you're good. doing well uh that's good yeah that, that that's a yeah i mean that's an episode where you you do kind of go like oh wouldn't it be interesting if we just kind of slow things down and just for one episode just kind of be in real time because the the show in itself is very kind of um, you know fast paced, like you said, that kind of Breaking Bad kind of yeah. each scene is hopefully ratcheting up tension and and it's <clears> interesting because <throat> those shows I I tend to not really watch that much. I don't really watch a whole lot of TV, but like when I do watch stuff, it is like um, kind of documentary shows or you know something like Atlanta, which is like a fever dream. 
you know what I mean? It, it, it mm-hmm. what I love about it is how kind of loose it is, and that kind of uh, narrative propulsion. I would say to bring it back did come from I think reading a lot of Stephen King growing right. up. You know, which was like his individual scenes on their own would be very entertaining, and I mean the thing that that he just has as a storyteller is that there's not very many people that make me read an 800 page book and like, two. Minutes, you know? <laughs> but it is like, he just has this like ability for me personally to just, you know, pull me along. I mean, just to be fully honest, I wish some of the endings were better. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's a reality we have to contend I mean, with. On this, I just been on dealing this with show. that forever. <laughs> yeah. I do. I do love his short stories. Like that's been a thing like where I'll get really into the short stories sometimes. Cause they do have, they're just like, he's so conceptual, you yeah. know, that it's like, Oh man, it's like a perfect conceptual thing, but he just knows he's just a, I mean, clearly obviously like just, I mean, for our generation, I'm assuming. And you know, it's like other people was like Ernest Hemingway, you know, and people like that. But for me, it was like the first adult, book i ever read was stephen king right you know which, was, which one was it uh actually i was with my grandfather who i was really close with and i had to buy red badge of courage for christ and he brought me in to i was in, i was 13 and i had to buy red badge of courage and he said well, you know you could buy a book for yourself so I went over to the young adult section and he was like no no, no you can like go to the fiction section you can buy whatever you want and I was like, oh, my God, this is all the books with, like, <laughs> sex in them and stuff. And then, uh, and I went over, and there was um, Facing Out was Salem's Lot. Hmm. And I just saw, like, vampires. Uh, I know that name from, like, Carrie, which is a movie I liked. So, you know, Stephen King, all right, I'll give this a shot. And, yeah, I was up all night reading that. I was It made me a, a reader because yeah. you were chasing that feeling again of oh for sure all night just uh, uh reading that story and being right. just totally hooked on it yeah and it I sounds mean- like you kept up with it over the years you mentioned big jim earlier which is like a an under the dome reference <laughs> yeah which is not something we often get are you still reading him uh not i don't keep up with him as much as i used to no but i i when i was at snl stephen king books were kind of ones that we would talk about like um seth myers would read stephen king so like i remember under the dome was one he read over christmas break and i read the that under the dome book and right so i went and read it and then you know the uh was 112263 right like I remember reading that in my dressing room. Like, you don't you don't keep up a lot, but you do read all of his phone book size books. Yeah, too. phone book size books. I read. <laughs> but I haven't. I haven't. It's like I haven't, but I haven't read like any of those mystery, like you know the the crime those, stories. Yeah, the crime. Right. Stories. I haven't read any of those. Mm, uh, they're great. Yeah. You haven't even fucked with uh, the Outsider. No, no. Oh, it's pretty good, dude. Yeah. I should probably check that stuff out. It's sort of, well, it's like it's it's more supernatural than the other Bill Hodges books. I should probably. I mean, am I reading? I like. I just don't have the brain power to read these days. But when I do <laughs> read, yeah, I'm like well, always reading kind of like nonfiction stuff or right. Or well, I got I'm gonna rec- have a Russian thing because I read that 
uh, George Saunders book. And so I was reading some Russian short stories, which I like. I'm going to recommend later that you pick up later. That is a, you said you like his short stories. Mm -hmm. This is barely longer than a novella. So it's uh, it's kind of Stephen King's The Sixth Sense. Oh. You want to look at it that oh, way. Cool. It's the best of King because you're hooked in in the first 20 pages. You're like, well, I'm in for the ride. And then you look up and you finish the book. It's like that quick kind of a page turner. Oh, great. Looking it up right now. Later. Oh, it's one of those hard case crime books. It is indeed. Oh, cool. So we got a note from uh, your reps, like right before <laughs> we re- recorded this episode um, that was like, well, Bill wants to do uh, Carrie as the movie, but Salem's Lot as the book. I was which at. is I will point out not the normal course of this show. <laughs> well, you guys don't know. I got asked. No, I, by the way, I'm responding to questions. To be fair, <laughs> they're like, <laughs> "What movie would you do?" And I was like, "Carrie," and it's like, "Okay, right. cool." And then I was like, "But I thought I was talking about a book because if it's a book, it'd be Salem's Lot." So that's right. like an either or thing. But if I had to pick, those were like, because Salem's Lot, I just had such a experience because it was the, that was like the first adult thing I read. And mm. then, and then Carrie, right. is, again, it's, I'm sure you get this a lot on the show. It's just like the formative thing, you know, right. it's like a creep show was another one that was like, that was on HBO late one night. And you're like, oh, I'm getting away with something by watching this. For you sure. Know? Oh, yeah. I think in my specific generation, that was Sleepwalkers. Oh um, yeah, more so than than Carrie, but yeah, I definitely uh, also saw Carrie on like broadcast television. Right, I and think her. mine was Creep Show two more than Creep Show because that uh, was yeah. the one that like I really felt like I was getting away with something because they have that like just blatant nudity on the raft. Oh yeah, the raft scene where it was in the raft crazy. sequence. Yeah, and something that we've examined a little bit on the show. Going, man, I remember as a kid thinking that was like the sexiest weird thing. Then you watch it now, and you're like, oh, that's an incredibly rapey scene. Yeah, uh, may- weird. maybe uh, I sh- you know. 10 year old me shouldn't have been oogling that. Yeah. It, well, that was definitely just of the time too, which was like, you read about this stuff and it's like, I don't know if this happened with that movie, but yeah, they would get notes. So I'm like, Oh, if you have like sexual assault in there like that, you know, we can sell that. <laughs> I was reading a thing about hammer movies and apparently like Peter Cushing, like layer, like in the, I think it's, Oh man, I forget what it's called. It's one of the Frankenstein movies in the late 60s, and they just were hmm. like, Yeah, we got to add a rape scene just because it'll help us sell it overseas. And he <laughs> didn't want to do it. And like, when yeah. you watch it, it's like clear. He's like, I don't want to be doing this. And the actress doesn't want to be doing it. And it's just super fucking dark and twisted. Right. You know? So, like, yeah, that those 80s movies, it's like hardcore misogyny through the whole thing. <laughs> And it does feel like kind of the tail end of that thing. Cause there's like that whole exploitation run in the seventies that were nothing but rape revenge. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. There was, there was a trailer that used to run at the Alamo in front of very specific things. There's, this isn't playing in front of Disney movies, but uh, there was a trailer that they would run from like an old grindhouse movie. And the movie was called the rape killer. Oh, okay. and the tagline I believe was a crime without a punishment. Wait, hold on. Like, I bet I can guess what this movie is about. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, I'm pretty sure there is a punishment for both raping and killing. So I don't know <laughs> yes, what that tagline right. is uh, referring to. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. It's just, it's sad though. Yeah. It's like 
all those things when you're kind of young, you're like, whoa, this is like taboo and crazy. But like, we've won the culture wars. This is, you know, this is <laughs> like, you get older and you're like, oh, wait, oh, that's like a thing. Oh, 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 I can't believe I watched that. Oh, that's fucking terrible. And you're like, oh, the people making that, that was really, you know, disturbing and fucked up. But even like, you know, like uh, there was even hardcore, like like real movies that, you know, whatever, weren't those kind of grindhouse movies. Yeah. Attitude towards uh, sexual assault was really blasé, you know, and you were like, oh, this, this is terrible. You know, it's right. just, it doesn't age well. So, yeah. So what do you want? What do you like now? If you had to choose which which one do you want to talk about more? Do you want to talk about Salem's Lot more? Or do you want to talk about Carrie? What, what are, what's everybody talked about on this show? What, what, what's been talked oh, about more, Carrie or Salem's Lot? Uh, oh, boy. That's I think they're about call. tied, but we do we do have a carry episode coming up in July, June, June? July, June. Well, let's talk about Salem's Lot then. Let's do Salem's Lot. You like uh, you like vampires? Hey, is that, your, like vampires? Is that your kink? Is that your <laughs> thing? Yeah, vampire. You know, you get your sick twists off <laughs> uh, vampires over there. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I just liked horror stuff. I was just like a kind of a nerd for you know i think a lot of you know people are that age like 13 yeah 14 i have a 12 year old daughter and i'm even sensing it from her where i came in and she's like you know watching the trailer for hereditary and you know what i mean oh, like nice. like you're like kind of checking it out like okay what what is this about you know but no i just thought it was a you know I, I just, it just sucked me in, you know, the whole, I just listened to, I actually didn't just, I, I was still on SNL, but I listened to Salem's Lot at um, <laughs> one, like, like on my way to SNL, I had my headphones on, I would listen to the book and the guy who read the book, the way he said Ben Mears was really funny. He would go, Ben Mears, like <laughs> <laughs> And Ben Mears, get, like, they say his name a lot in that book. Like, <laughs> that's when Ben Mears. He's <laughs> <laughs> almost kind of like burping, like, <laughs> you know, Ralphie Glick was dead, you know, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I loved it. And then watching the Toby Hooper movie was fun, but. Nothing was like reading the book. It was kind of the first experience I had where you were like, oh, that's like the movie version, like the Danny Glick scene in the the Toby Hooper thing was very kind of like 70s, you know, made for TV movie spooky. It was like something out of, I don't know, the Night Stalker or whatever. Right. Um, but reading it, you just saw it as reality. You know, it was like, oh, this shouldn't have the sheen of a Hollywood movie over it. You know what I mean? It should it should just be almost done like a documentary or something. You know where do you mean? where do you stand on uh, Toby Hooper in general? I mean, Texas Chainsaw, I think, is like you know that's a that's a big one. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, well, it's, yeah, that's one people talk about a lot. And then, um, I mean, I I don't really know. I mean, I kind of just think about. I mean, to be honest, with Texas Chainsaw. I mean, everybody always kind of. Associates Poltergeist more with Spielberg. Right. Um, but, uh, 
as well they should we've yeah. been yelled at a lot yeah uh, on this but uh yeah but, but yeah but like uh, but like uh funhouse yeah fine i didn't like life force that much i know people like that one i think that one's kind of silly um, toolbox murders no yeah, that's, great. Oh. that's a great uh the mangler another from, stephen king uh, invaders from mars was one that made me just want to go find the original one which was like yeah really cool uh, william cameron mendez thing i thought that was yeah. like, really cool i thought that one was like like i ended up i guess that's the best thing that that movie did was it made me go <laughs> oh, this is a remake and i went and found the remake and really loved it right but yeah i don't know it's just um nothing really beats Texas Chainsaw is just like very pure and everything. I know as a, 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 a Texas Chainsaw fan as, as I am, I, I'm a big fan of that franchise. What is your opinion on the first chainsaw? The thing I guess I liked about that watching that was that it was incredibly kind of self-assured for like a first movie. Like it was sure. Like, incredibly well done and when you watched it it was the creepiness of it and this just slow feeling of dread that that movie casts on you that it's sure. not when you watch it you're like ideas behind it are gorier than what you're seeing and i think that's why the second one i couldn't get into because i was like oh it's like a parody of the first one it's just like tonally i didn't understand mm. it but that first one i just it I, I understood when i heard like ridley scott like watched it for alien because it had that same feeling of just i feel hot when i watch it's like you feel the humidity you feel like this like how smelly and disgusting that house is i mean i think the creepiest part of texas chainsaw really talks about so many things i the part where she gets caught and they're and the old man's driving her out and to the night and you see the house in the distance that dark and then the headlights illuminate the guy they picked up at the beginning and he's just walking out there by himself at night. Mm -hmm. That's creepy that you could be walking out in that area at night and come across that guy. You know, have have you ever been like in your travels encountered a situation even remotely this dangerous? No, (laughs) no. Okay. Well, give me, give me, um, Give me the most uncomfortable. You yourself at the dinner table of a cannibal family. Yeah, cannibal family. Um, Well, yeah. Well, obviously, we're not reaching those heights. We're not. We're not getting there. But like, what is the most uncomfortable experience you have ever had? Like out in the wild. Oh, out dealing with. I don't. I it's very well documented. I have like uh, very bad anxiety, so I don't really put myself in those positions. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the most. I don't. Uh, think, I don't. I, I would not expect you to put yourself in those positions. No, I don't. <laughs> but I don't, also, I'm as like, someone, I don't even like going camping. You know what I mean? Like I don't right. do any. Like I'm just like uh, probably because I watched all these movies. You know, but uh, right, you warned yourself away. Yeah, I just. Yeah, I don't really. Uh, you signed up to star in it chapter two mm-hmm. to be the, the voice and face of Richie. Richie. Yeah. Right. You know, there's a, a very famous meme where it's like a dual shot thing with you and uh, Bill. Oh, where um, I'm like running away from him. Yes. Is that entirely about his eye trick? No, no, I don't. I don't know. Like that happened when he did the eye trick. 
when I saw it, that was, um, he wasn't dressed as Pennywise. That was, we were out, you know, we were like out, like having dinner or something. I, I honestly think what's happening in that scene is we're rehearsing. I think we're rehearsing for Andy Machete because we were talking and bullshitting. And then Andy was like, oh, let's run it real quick. And so that's just us rehearsing the scene where he screams at me and I run off. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, that sure. was my last day of shooting, by the way. And that, that I was extremely <laughs> tired. <laughs> I had to get on a plane and get back to LA because we were about to start shooting season two of Barry. And, uh, and <laughs> they I, got you at the last minute. And I was, no, I, I was at the top of the shoot. So I, that shoot went on another like three months and I was Jesus. the first part of that shoot. So I was kind of me and, and Jessica Chastain both were kind of like shot out after like the first half of the shoot was like three months where it's like, we got to shoot out Bill and Jessica. So like everything that was us as a group happened and then after we left it was like they picked up all the other stuff right now as a stephen king fan like like i know i went to the the set of the very first it um that's when i was uh still the ain't it cool and i was one of the last set visits i think i did for that site and um but i was there and like i asked the kids uh you know if there is a part two who would you pick to play yourselves and you you were uh, Finn's choice, like instantly. Yeah, no, that that's how I got the call. Was Andy Machete? Yeah. My agent called me and said, "Hey, Andy Machete wants to meet with you about it too." And I just thought, "Wow, Finn must be really powerful." Um, and then <laughs> that was like one of the first things he said to me. He was like, "So Finn wants you to play Richie," and I was like, "Oh wow, okay." And then, uh, so when we did the rehearsal for the first time, I walked over to Finn, and that when I met him, the first thing I ever said to him was, "Hey, thanks for giving me the gig." You know, <laughs> he got me the job. Being a King fan, though, I have to imagine just even being approached for this because, you know, it is kind of you know a plus King, right? It's like the top of the the stack and there's so much for you to draw from in, in that character. I don't want to make this whole chat about, about it, but like, I'm always fascinated, especially with the book like that, where there's so much for you uh, uh, as an actor to go beyond what's on the script, right. Or what's yeah. in the script. And you can actually, if you have a question about the character or how you're going to think about it, there's, you know, like you, there's 1100 pages for you to, uh, you know, to kind of dive into. Was that something that you thought of, or did you kind of have to put that aside or, you know, and, and just, Kind of yeah, no, I didn't think like some I remember James McAvoy was really like like what you didn't read the book and it was like I was like no that's <laughs> <laughs> like a billion pages I don't know <laughs> and also like the book the movie is like a different thing you know I gotta right. just think about this like in a different way but he's a much serious like you know he's a much serious actor <laughs> he's more, more <laughs> of a professional and serious actor than I am I guess because right. I was like because other people, too, were like, oh, yeah, no, I read it. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like them feeling like, oh, right. man, I didn't do my job. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I interviewed I, Bill Skarsgård for the first one, and, and he was talking about how the book was like kind of his second script because there's whole passages told from Pennywise's perspective and, and all this. But again, you know, his character is, you know, is not going to be very fleshed out in what's in the script on this. Right. So yeah, I, just, I can understand. I you just have to kind of just go with what's in the script because then right. you can get caught up and like, Oh wait, I didn't, I don't get to go to the 
you know, the metaverse or whatever it was. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> You're not going to do the ritual of chewed. Yeah, I don't yeah. get to go into the other place with the turtles and <laughs> and bite tongues and bite tongues and all that shit. Right. Like, oh man, what? And then it was just funny too to hear everybody talking and kind of rhapsodizing about this stuff. And then you know, you you were kind of like you know he wrote this when he was like on a ton of cocaine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and and I think I wasn't there, but he visited set and apparently Stephen King was like, Yeah, I don't I don't know what that means. Like I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Which I loved. I was like, Oh, oh it's the best. Yeah, yeah, we like, I don't We had we had him on the show uh, a few weeks ago and uh uh and like we were bringing up a, a title of his called Revival and like oh, we're asking him questions about that and he couldn't remember like some of the characters' names and stuff. Oh, I but I get it. And, man, and I fucking love but I love that about, yeah, about he's it because, like, yeah. he what he kind of instilled in me was the discipline. I think everybody of my age, you know, again, like you could kind of talk to a lot of people and you know like when I was twenty I read that was when I yeah. Yeah, I was twenty one or twenty one when on writing came out. Yeah. And just reading that and being like, Oh, okay, oh, this is like a, a craft. This is a thing you just you have to like get into be even when you don't want to do it, you gotta do it, you know? Yeah. And just having that kind of discipline, you know, and seeing his output and everything's just been you know, it's it's pretty amazing. But right. I get it though. I mean, being at SNL, there's full, full sketches I don't remember or have any like people will quote them to me and I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. And like, I'm right. quoting you from what are, you know? And you're like, what? Yeah. you know, or whatever it is. But, um, or even Barry, I got embarrassed because we were doing an interview and someone was like, Oh, is no Hank going to dance this season? And I was like, what? <laughs> and they're like him dancing. And then everybody was like, no, ho, dancing on the roof. And I was like, Oh, Oh my God. <laughs> I just, you, it's just, yeah. When you work a lot, you forget it. So, I get that. Yeah, uh, you're you're constantly putting the the tracks in front of the moving train. Yeah, right? so yeah. You, you don't really have time to yeah, especially during think about season it. two. It was like, yeah, we're just it was like a mad rush. So I, right. yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I think that's cool. But sweet, he's like that. I think we should circle back to Salem's Lot, and uh, yes, I, I would love to kind of get your impressions on the kind of small town Stephen King, right? That's kind of where he thrives. And Salem's Lot is really the first, it's a second published novel, but it's the first time where that kind of trope, that Castle Rocky small town with a corrupt center somewhere in it, you know, that became, you know, kind of his trademark uh, popped up. And, and I think that like so many of the little chemicals that make Stephen King, who he is as an author and so like uh, addicting while reading are all here. You you have that the child protagonist and you know with the uh, the monster obsession and, and then you have the writer you know the the, the author that's yeah, the other protagonist. All the and, are there. It, I mean, it really is kind of like the prototypical, you know, not just Stephen King book, but it was written in like seventy five or right in mid seventies, right. but it feels like an eighties. Like it's like it's what then became like kind of like the prototypical eighties PG thirteen you know I'm thinking like Monsters right. Squad or Goonies or I mean I mean even Jaws I mean I remember reading this and seeing Jaws around the same time and it had that same kind of feel of like 
you small know, New England town. Yeah, small New England town. You have the, you know, uh, Murray Hamilton as the, you know, the mayor and and the, I mean, just all the the archetypes are, are kind of there. You just needed, right. like, it'd be like if instead Roy Scheider was like a kid. It's <laughs> 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 still a sheriff. <laughs> yeah, a sheriff kid. Uh, this yeah. remake idea is yeah. great. Let's keep Big going with this. like, I'm afraid of the water because I can't swim. My mom won't let me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm terrified of swimming because I'm only three. (laughs) I don't have floaties. Um, But yeah. um, But yeah, all those prototypical, like that, that small town feel, which you later, at least for me, you see a lot of those movies, but yeah, like needful things. Like, I think he called it like Peyton place with vampires or something where it is that feel. But I think that is what makes it was so kind of, I hate the, it's a weird word for this, but like cozy about it. You know what I mean? It was right, something right. nice about that. It was something you kind of related to. Um, and at the same time, I was also reading like, you know, people like Ray Bradbury and stuff like yeah. that. And it had a similar thing of the, you know, that twilight zone, like this feels like home you know, it took all the horror out of the, it's a thing that they talk about all the time. He took it out right. of the, the castles and, and all that. Put shit. it in the suburb. And yeah. Put it at the seven on the street or whatever. You right. Know, right. A similar feel, which I always, I always really, really appreciated. That really makes it for me. Hmm. Our friend fraction has, uh, sort of staked out a corner of the show where he comes on and talks about the, uh, the dark tower series. And I'm curious if you've read any of those books. I've read the first one. How did that go? (laughs) Well, I didn't read the second one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should. I, I just, again, I, I think I never had, I always liked things that had like kind of more of a, um, uh, and I think as I got older, I felt this way. I learned that it was the term in, in comedy, like hat on a hat. Yeah. Know? And like Dark Tower was like, oh, you're taking all these different elements and this stuff. And it, and like, this is exciting and cool. But I just, I don't think I was ever like really like a fantasy person per se, I guess, in, in those mm. terms. But I, I liked more right. of the, uh, you know, the ones that got me were like misery and, Salem's Lot and uh, The Shining and even like Gerald's Game. I remember reading that on a plane being like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see Uh, the movie? No, no, I never saw the movie. Good shit. The book was like, my God. Um, Or even remember reading one Christmas, like uh, when I was in high school, my sister got me the regulators and and desperate (laughs) how they came as one. Right. You know, the one was the king and the other, the Bachman. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading the regulators and being like, this is nuts, you know? Uh, But I was a PA on a movie called collateral damage with Mm -hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And I was in Mexico and I remember my mom sent me a package and it had, uh, cause there was nothing to do there. And she sent me, uh, Hearts in Atlantis and Bag of Bones, which I think both have just come out on paperback, I want to say. Yeah. 
And so I, I read both of those while I was, and then I passed those books around to everybody. But um, that's usually the king that I kind of dig. I ask because uh, eventually in the Dark Tower series, there's a point where Stephen King himself plays a character in that series. And <laughs> you are kind of our pick to play <laughs> king. Right. Yeah, and I want to make it clear he doesn't play he doesn't play adaptation. a character. Yeah, he doesn't play a character. He plays himself. Stephen King appears as himself uh-huh. in the books that he's writing. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> but it, but it, it's not it wouldn't be King. It would be Bill. Yes? Oh, be me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You're like, you know, you got to write the <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. I got to finish this thing. I got to finish these uh, books. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know how you finish a book. You know, you're typing the book, and the book then is done, and then you start another book because you have OCD. Uh, <laughs> I think what I'm asking here is if there were, uh, like, let's say, just for the sake of discussion, like a multi hundred million dollar Dark Tower adaptation coming, and they needed somebody to play Stephen King King. at some point within that, would you be willing? Maybe. To step up to play? What I do, yeah, what I'm up to. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I I love the commitment. This is the best possible answer. I've learned learned over the years, the minute I'm like, sure, then it's like, Wait a minute! It's not multi-million now. You're putting your own money into it. <laughs> yeah. You said, yeah. Yes, and you're why, really why do I own a now? Like, Wait a minute! I thought these people were doing it, and why are we in Romania for Los Angeles? I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> why are we? This makes no sense. Okay, well let me let me come at you from this angle. Is there a Stephen King adaptation that you would be? Uh, very un- displeased with being a part of. Oh, I don't oh. think so. I don't know. I, I, no? I, I, I mean, I, don't I mean, know. come on, dude. I will you, say, what about Lawnmower Man 2? You want to be in Lawnmower <laughs> Man 2? I would do Jeff Fahey killed it in those things. <laughs> that he did. Jeff Fahey was fucking rad. He got, I saw that in the theater. Yeah. Um, I did. I went the original? Yeah, Annex 7, I went and saw in Tulsa, Oklahoma, by myself, I saw Lawnmower Man, and I was like, whoa, those effects are crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, well, hold on, what what drew you to the experience? What do you think? Was it the promise of CGI animation? No, it was the VR tech based on Stephen King. I was like, oh, cool, it's a new Stephen King thing. And I was like, I'm going to check this out. And I was like, oh, this is nothing like the story. (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck is this? Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I, I dug it. I was like, oh, this is, you know, it's I, ridiculous. When I was a kid, I was like, this was rad, you know. But the right. same way, I liked the movie Popcorn when I saw it in the theater. Right. I was like, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna that one of the horror movies. <laughs> I was just like, well, popcorn fucking killed. Uh-huh. You know, popcorn kind of fucking rips. Honestly, yeah, I also liked um, the dark half. I think I had a poster yeah. of the dark half because it was George Romero and and had that scene with all the crows flying off. The sparrows, like, the, the sparrows, sparrows are flying. Yeah, yeah the sparrows yeah. are flying, and I was like, well, "That was fucking rad." I need a poster of that. 
<laughs> okay, well, let me let me try another angle. If you could pick <laughs> one King adaptation that you could have been a part of. I could have been a part of. Mm. Yeah. I was it, well, I mean, it was rad. He did that story that they then made, and I think he actually adapted it himself. Uh, uh, it was a perfect marriage. It was basically about BTK killer. Oh, the good good marriage. Good yeah. marriage, yeah. Holy shit, with a- Anthony LaPaglia. Yeah. Yep. I thought yeah. that was, like, when I read that short story, I was like, oh, man, they're going to make this into a movie, and that's going to be great. Because uh, I just thought it was, like, a really interesting take on the BTK kind of right. thing about making it about their marriage and all that. And then right. I wasn't, I wasn't crazy about it. No, the, the, the movie is kind of lifeless, but yeah, you're right. The idea behind that, it, that idea seen... of like doing that, but in like a, in the bedroom type way would be right. Pretty amazing. If you got like great actors and you didn't play it like a genre piece, you know what I'm saying? Like you took the genre right. out of it. It would be amazing. Yeah, so it does your story. Yeah, it doesn't need to turn into like a psychosexual thriller yeah, or whatever no, they try they, to do in this. It, it turns, right. yeah, it's and I think I don't, I don't know. I kind of feel that way. Like people go, "Oh, Stephen King, it's horror, so we have to play the genre, right?" And it's like, I don't know. Like, why don't you try not playing the genre and just play the story and play it real? And I think all those elements that work will come to the surface and work even better, right? You know, and and that one in particular, I think if if you did play it totally straight you know i think it would have been uh really affecting because it's like it's a really uh you know it's you know it would have been like like that's the the horror films i like are kind of like like rosemary's baby and things like that where they it's about something else that movie easily could have been a genre horror thing so by the end of it the surrealist aspect of it is like so uh, palpable and just like it's really unnerving because you just buy everything you're not immediately mm-hmm. being introduced as like we're all it's halloween now i'm gonna tell you the ghost story of a people with a perfect marriage or whatever and it's like, <laughs> it's like okay know. but if if you found out your spouse was collecting up victims taking their ids you know, building your collection, would you turn them in? Oh, probably, yeah. Wouldn't you? I don't know, man. <laughs> oh. I got a lot of shit. Let's get into this. this. Let's get into this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see, turn it around on going on over it's here. Crazy. I don't know if this is like one more thing <laughs> I need to deal with. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I feel like you have something to get off your chest, man. No, dude. It's like, but like, wouldn't you, like, wouldn't you upon the moment of discovery be like, fuck, dude. Like, oh, bro. Yeah. Come on, dude. What the fuck is this, bro? Bro. What the fuck? No, no. There's there's like 40 wallets here. Jesus Christ. That's you. You're fucking kidding me. That's you. For how long? Oh, but the other night, I had to make dinner because you had a fucking deadline. You know? And meanwhile, (laughs) this is the deadline. 
Yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> a that's literal deadline. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I would probably uh, not say anything and then just turn them in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> con- confronting the killer is a bad idea. I would just be like, I love you so much. You are great. You are awesome. I'm going to go to the store. I'll be right back. It's not the last time we're ever going to see each other. Do not worry. <laughs> I'm going to go to the store right next to the police the station. Right next to the police station. And I'm going to break down. No, I always take the kids and pack a bag with all my shit in it to go. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's right, folks. At the sound of Rob Zombie's dulcet tones, it is time for your mid-roll ad read. Once again, sponsored by the good folks at Athletic Greens. We use Athletic Greens products literally every day here at KingCast HQ. I started taking Athletic Greens because, quite frankly, I need the vitamins. Lots of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients. This one accomplishes that and does not taste like it's super healthy either, which is good news. In fact, it has kind of a mild tropical taste that I personally look forward to each morning. So what is it? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptions to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all of your things. It even supports mental clarity and alertness, which is something I definitely need while recording this show. Also, it's recommended by pro athletes, not just stocky podcast hosts. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's cheaper than purchasing all the separate ingredients yourself, all less for $3 a day. One scoop and a cup of water every time, boom, you are done, and it tastes delicious. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash kingcast. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash kingcast to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Nice. I think we should get back to that little conversation with Mr. Hader. What do you think, Scott? Please let us. It might be a fool's errand to to try to circle this back to Salem's lot, but I'm going to try. I really want to kind of, especially since you mentioned you have a daughter kind of the age that like Mark Petrie is right now. And you reading uh, Salem's lot, you must have been about the age of Mark Petrie in the story. I have this kind of running theory that one of the reasons why Stephen King retains popularity with new generations is because so many of his characters are children and he writes children so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, that, you know, big thing for it. You know, I was the age of the kids of it when I first read it. And that's why it's one of my favorite books, I think. Um, You don't necessarily always need to have a one-to-one to connect with the story. But I do feel like, you know, when I read Salem's Lot as a youngster, I was a movie fan. I was a monster fan. Yeah. So the fact that he had model kids, mm-hmm. you know, those Aurora kids with, you know, the universal monsters and how he kind of knew his shit about oh, yeah. the mythology and lore, which became kind of a horror movie trope after that. But that wasn't the case when he wrote Salem's Lot. It wasn't yeah, tro- totally. Yeah. That. So I, yeah, I wonder if you, if you agree with that assessment, if you think that, 
your daughter who's now like looking into st- uh, uh, horror movies and and at that age where you know she's showing curiosity towards this kind of storytelling if you if you think that she would be into uh, yeah. King stuff specifically. Yeah, I mean, I think that is always the thing about it is I, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt that way as a kid, you just felt a kinship, you know, I, I personally, I can only speak personally, but for me with Stephen King, it was that everything when I was growing up, especially I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma was all about sports. Right. And, and a lot of stuff was about those things. So liking monster movies or just old movies in, in general, like wasn't that cool, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. Going to the horror, you know, video store and like you guys know, it's like the you go to the video store and like the horror movie section would be like eight times the size of all the other sections. There's like <laughs> yep. massive market for. It. So I would just sit and like just rent every horror movie I could find, and then you would read you you know you read Salem's Lot and like you're saying you you get to those characters and you go oh man I I relate to them. There's something really relatable. Yeah. I remember feeling that way reading Christine of like the kind of weird nerdy guy, you know, or whatever. Uh, but you yourself wanted to fuck your car. I did. Yes. Um, yeah. No, that happened. No. Uh, I mean, who among <laughs> us? That happened. You know? I mean, let's just get into it. Uh, no, but he, but no, but you know what I mean? Like all those, right. Um, even, you know, all, anytime he wrote kids or teenagers or anything, it felt, um, just like kind of lived in and genuine. And, and I think, I mean, I think that's just like what he was, what, what as a storyteller, I think that's what he was very good at was I always say this like lulling is a thing, but it just, it, you felt like you were in a world you understood and that you had been in before. These were all people you knew. And it was, I felt like I related to everybody. So then when, you know, Danny Glick is on the, you know, tapping on the window or they got to go to Barlow's house or, you know, at the end or whatever. Right. Um, it, it all feels so much more, um, the stakes are so high, you know, cause you, you, you feel like, again, it's what the adaptations have always kind of bumped me because it always feels like, well, no, we got to make this like a genre movie. And I'm like, I don't know when I read these, I feel like I know these people. It's like, I you want it to feel real, you know? Because that's how I feel reading those. Some of those stories, I'm like, man, he's such a good job of putting me in a place where I feel like I'm there and it's real. Um, so then when you in, when the the horror element or the fantasy element enters into it, it's really shocking because he yeah. pulled you into this thing. But you feel like, oh, I know this place. I'm at my house. These are my friends. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I can relate to the weird house up on the hill or we've all been in towns where like a kid's gone missing. What does that mean? You know what I mean? Like he's got yeah. all these very basic fears, I guess that I yeah. related to, but even in like the more like, yeah, like the, the good marriage, it's like, there's a lot of truth in like what he's writing about of like the shit married couples keep from each other. And what can you stand? What can't you stand? Like, you know, I was reading that. I was like, Oh, it's a real question. Is she going to turn on him or not? You know? Yeah. So, yeah, he, and it's not an easy answer. Yeah, not an easy answer. Yeah, because it felt like it a, was. A, well, excuse me, but it was a <laughs> very easy answer for Bill a moment ago. I mean, He's well, turning I, that I lady in, you, like right off the you bat. With Eric, because Eric and I are having a really solid conversation about Stephen King right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you're reminding me of all the past bullshit I said. This is what. <laughs> 
were you were, oh, just being like, Hey, you know what? I just thought about that. And that was stupid. Um, I don't agree with that. <laughs> let me, let me ask you this question. When, when you were a kid, were you more about, uh, like in terms of your burgeoning horror interest, were you more of a creature kid or like a, uh, a horror tone thing? I was much kid. more, I liked, uh, creature. I could say what I, I, I was like creatures. I was never like, Texas Chainsaw and Halloween are probably the closest I get to liking slasher type stuff. Totally. I was never into slasher yes. stuff. I was never into Friday the 13th. I wasn't really even into like Nightmare on Elm Street, that stuff. It was more um, like the thing, you know, um, or I remember really liking the Evil Dead with the exception of that tree scene, <laughs> which is really stupid, but like unfortunate. Yes, it, it, the the Evil Dead though was a, a a movie that I saw when I was fifteen. Again, got it because Stephen King's quote was on the box. Most yeah, original horror film I've ever seen, and I was like, "Well, I got to get this," and watched it, and was like, like the next day started like got my dad's video camera because it was like the first thing that I saw where I was like, "Oh, I see what." Like, I, I think I see what they're doing, you know, like, oh, these are a bunch of like kid, like young people making right. and I, I, I kind of get like what they're doing, you know, like to me, it's like a music music wise. It'd be like hearing punk for the first time and being like, oh, wow. OK, I see how. Oh, we can do that. You know what I mean? And it's like super effective, mm-hmm. you know, to me to make a movie, you had to be like. Yes, Steven Spielberg or John Carpenter or something, you know, Brian De Palma, you know, whatever. And and this was like, that was really, really that that movie really had an impact on me. And and then the George Romero, Night Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead had a huge impact. Yeah, Yeah, those were those are big. I think Dawn of the Dead. It's kind of hard to tell people now, like what how big of a deal Dawn of the Dead was uh, Mm -hmm. to. My generation and the generation right before me, I I was born in 81, uh, but, uh, you know, I was still in that era where, you know, the only version you could get of Dawn of the Dead was cut to shit and like it became incredible. Like if you had the friend that had the the European cut or whatever on a bootleg uh, VHS or whatever, it weirdly felt dangerous, you know, that that the effects were so in your face unblinkingly gory and, you know, they kind of you look at them now and you're just like. You know, an average episode of The Walking Dead has has, you know, that entire length of that movie beat in terms of gore. But there's still something about it that's so in your face that that people just don't. I think today they looking back, they couldn't really uh, imagine just kind of what it was to culture at that time. You know, also like those movies are so again, it's like that Rosemary's Baby thing where it's about one thing, but it's about something else too, you know? Yeah. Like, that's why I appreciate about them. And then just like in a technical thing, just like watching it as a kid, I was like, man, the camera only really moves once in this movie. Hmm. It's all like, it's all in his cutting, you know? Like the camera, there's one dolly shot of them walking through the mall, like after they've kind of taken over the mall before the bikers blow up. That's it. But like, it, that whole movie is just it's just cuts and it like yeah. really is effective and, and the music and the way that Ro- yeah. oh go sorry I didn't mean to interrupt oh, uh, no, but no. the way Romero plays with tone yeah is crazy too and it, it touches back to you mentioned to Palma's Carrie you know we've talked about this a few times that Carrie is really fascinating because it whips back and forth between like 
soap opera almost to like really cutting edge split screen you know oh my god incredible terror and then there's like that whole prom scene which always comes up when we talk about the movie where the the precursor to the prom where they're like going and getting dressed up and they're like he hits fast forward on the dialogue for some reason they also have a montage scene yeah 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 that's like it's like yeah it's like um yeah it's like a Douglas Sirk, Hitchcock, and then <laughs> Godard, like all mixed together, right. you know, or something. It's like, because yeah. those scenes with uh, Piper Warrior, like really off the charts, like <laughs> insane, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, but what makes those work to me is Sissy Spacek, you know? She's right. just, you just believe her. You know, and I, I think Piper Laurie is awesome in that movie. Don't get me wrong. But it's the same thing as like Jack Nicholson in The Shining or something where you're like, this is just like Kabuki theater, you know, or something. I don't, I don't really get it. You know, I mean, I like it, but it is like so big. Right. But yeah, there's just something about movies of that specific era. And when I say specific, not even the 70s, just like that early to mid seventies where there's that just was something that you could do in a movie, you know, yeah, Dawn of the dead really has those cool. wild Dawn swings. That uh, way. Yeah. hundred. Yeah. Carrie has those wild swings. Yeah. Massive wild swings. No, it was really cool. There's no movie. I, there's no movie out now that would, would dare do anything like that. Like it, it would just be so verboten to break tension in that way. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's fascinating. It's, it's all very, very interesting. And that's where, you know, kind of King came up and yeah. without Carrie, you know, he's notoriously said without Carrie. Wait, wait, uh, what do you guys think? Oh, finish that thought. Sorry. Oh no, no, no. I was just going to say that, you know, he credits the movie Carrie being a success with kind of rocketing to uh, stardom, you know, hundred oh, percent. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wait, what do you guys think of, I don't know your opinion of the Steven Weber shining because Stephen King loves that, right? Yeah. He does. Wow. Yes. Uh, uh, we've had he both Steven it. Weber and Mick Garris on the show. They're friends of the show. Um, uh, I'm not going to be political. I'll just say that it's not for me. Uh, I think that it's it's kind of shows the that the adaptation process needs to be in between a book and a and a series. That there that you know that sometimes things need to be adapted from one medium to another, not just in a one to one way. Oh, that that, that, yeah, that was true. I. Th- I I think it's fascinating as an experiment. Yeah. And I think it, it works as an interesting B side to Kubrick's the shining. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, just in terms of pure judgment from what's in front of me without taking all that other stuff into contention, I just think it, it it's unfortunately it was made maybe at the wrong time. If they had taken that same tact now with like a streamer or yeah. HBO or yeah, something yeah, 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 and we're, we're able to, you know, have the budget for it. Um, I think that that might be a better proof of, what they were trying to do and to say, this is the uh, antithesis of the Stanley Kubrick adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as it is, I think it's just way too much locked in the time it was made and, and it's uh, kind of hard to get through. Uh, my, that. my take is that it is a uh, drastic failure in casting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I love everyone in this show, except for the kid. Oh, that plays yeah. Danny. Who is now like a QAnon guy or some shit? Really? I don't, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Oh, but um, yeah, but uh, that's that's what's holding it back. You know, they hmm. filmed it like at SS Park. 
at the yeah, at, at the, the original Stanley hotel. Place. That's there, yeah. there's like a lot of fucking value that goes with that. But yeah, if you if you watch <laughs> that series now, it's like impossible to overshadow the the shadow that Kubrick's version itself left for everything else. And I think I think the shiny will get remade. I think Warner Brothers will uh, probably do it at some point. But, yeah, that's um, true. But I, the, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I saw it when it just originally aired, and yeah, I can't yeah. remember much of it. But I just, yeah. like, I'm always interested. But because that was such a kind of like, wow, they're gonna do the Shining. That's such an iconic movie. And that's, the- you know. Yeah, it was an event too. I mean, I remember like yeah. the cover of TV Guide was was that oh, forever, was and this is Stephen yeah, King getting his chance when to do TV it right. TV Guide gets gets involved. It's serious. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know that Stephen Weber is like and Mick Garris are like two of the nicest guys in the world. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And I think Weber was an interesting casting choice because you have to go somebody. You can't do a new version of The Shining. You can't be in the same ballpark as Jack Nicholson. You yeah. just can't. Like the, the and the whole point thing. of doing a re, a new adaptation was to avoid that because that's like notoriously what Stephen King hated the most um, about Kubrick's movie was the Jack Torrance character was always at Nicholson level crazy, right? Yeah, so, out of the gate nuts, and that yeah, uh, it was like oh, this is like the forebodingness of it is like oh, you're going up there with somebody who's like an alcoholic, you know, who's gone, who's already crazy. Yeah, he's already you know, on so the edge. Like, yeah. Well, what is happening? Is it real or is it in his head or right? All those things, but um, I I don't know. <laughs> That's an interesting one. But there was a recent thing about um, Ben Siller is playing Jack Torrance. Yeah, apparently. he's doing a in a he's new, doing like a play, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Overseas, I saw a lot of people talking shit about this, but I I kind of feel like Siller could pull that off in yeah. a way. I would love to see that. Yeah, I, I, I'd kill to see that. Hey, I want to know. You guys have probably talked about this, but now I'm curious. What are your sure. top King movies books? Top one, number one for both of you guys. Mm. Well, first of all, you have to read Revival. Mm-hmm. That's just non-negotiable. <laughs> yeah. um, Revival's like a top five king and nobody really talks about it mm-hmm. right. much except for us. We're, we're talking about it a lot. I say we nobody talks about it. It's become a running gag with our listeners that we just always bring up fucking Revival on the show. Yeah, but um, it's also but yeah, Scott, fucking baller as hell. It's great. You know? um, yeah. So, Scott, is that would that be your pick for, for favorite? time king would be Revival. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just putting it out there. Oh, I, I, the I, think, I think Shining... The Shining to me is like the cream of the crop. I understand that the Stand and uh, Salem's Lot and some of these other ones are like like close behind, but Carrie, <laughs> Carrie is like the the building block on right. this thing. For for me, my favorite um, book is is It by A Country Mile. It's just the one that like I I, I loved so much as a as a kid, and then I revisited it as the age of the older kids and it hit me so square in the chest, like of that time difference. And, and I don't know, there's something about it that I get lost in. I've reread it a few times now. And you know, that's a long book to say you've reread that you've read multiple times. Well, it's so, it's so sprawling, but it's sprawling. It has a little bit of everything. I think King called it his kitchen sink book because it has all kinds of fucking jaws is in it, you know, is in the book. 
you know, it's like every single scary thing that exists exists within this under the, the you know the guise of this of this entity that mostly takes the, the form of a of an evil clown. Um, but I just love the character so much. The Losers Club is. You know, I, I love each and every one of them as if they were my own friends and I relate to it in that way. So as a book, it is unquestionably my favorite of of Kings. I, it's probably not his best. Um, I might I might put in, you know, The Shining or The Stand would be a better written uh, book. But misery, it, for, even it, I m- misery. misery, I think, is a pretty, it's, it's pretty tough. Yeah. Misery is like as just like a situational like. Oh Misery, yeah, the things were when I read Misery, like uh, I read it after actually I like I reread it. That's the thing with Stephen King. I tend to not read the new, but I'll go reread stuff. And I yeah. read Misery and rereading it, I like got mad because I was like, "Fuck, this is so like clean and good." <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just yeah, that it's everything so it works on it. It's just one of those ideas where you're like, "God damn it!" It like makes yeah. you annoyed because you're like it's so hard to come up with something that's that just baked in perfect you know but i was somehow more relevant by every day yeah yeah you know what i mean like i think also just i think that's also i wanted to just like go oh it's you know he has a talent for it too but you know it's the thing he you know he talks about in his book he reads a lot and writes a lot and i think just by virtue of doing that these things might start happening you know i think you have to have the too but i think immersing yourself in that unapologetically because i'm actually friends with his sons and Mm. um joe uh, and owen owen Owen, and they're they're that way you know just kind of like just any there's i've never had a correspondence with them where we don't where I'm not recommended like three things. <laughs> right. And, and right. like, I think it's just like, yeah, that's what you do. And you take all this stuff in and then it like unlocks stuff, you know? And if you're working on it every day, something might unlock. That's great. Or something's, I don't know, Tommy knockers. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tommy knockers is my favorite Stephen King movie. By oh, far. oh, I, I mean, no, no other. You Sorry. Cooper did... in there. Wait, what's your favorite? Cooper didn't have Tracy Lords is all I'm Wait, saying. What is your favorite movie? Eric? I mean, Ever? Listen, I... No, no, well, no, 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 no. Stephen yeah. King. Uh, my favorite movie ever is Jaws, which is funny because that's already come up in this conversation, but the favorite movie of Kings. Th- that's a King adaptation. I I'm, I'm going back to stand by me. I like, I just, yeah, that was, it's yeah. I think the shining is one of the most influential films of all time. Um, and especially within genre, but like, you know, the, the legacy of the shining, I think will overshadow just about every other King adaptation. But I think, um, uh, stand by me is, is the perfect, it, one, it's a perfect movie, and two, it's a it's a perfect adaptation too. Where yeah. the stuff that doesn't really work in the novella is left out, and when the stuff was working, they just almost literally transcribed it into the movie. There's three or four page dialogue scenes that are almost word for word out of the novella that are in, yeah, in that. that. So, I, my parents uh, took me to that movie when it came out. I was like eight. <laughs> they wanted to go like on a movie night, 
And yeah. So they took me. Like, oh, th- these are kids. This will be fine. Yeah, these are kids. You're fine. And I just remember seeing those boys and they were all like cursing and, and smoking and, and smoking and like the way they yeah. dressed and like the, I remember being obsessed with like, oh, I got to get like black Converse with jeans and roll up <laughs> yeah. my, you know, roll up my pant leg. And for sure. Like, I just thought, carry a comb with you. Oh, I just thought like River Phoenix was the coolest oh, kid I'd yeah. ever seen in my life. And I was like, well, I want to be like that guy. Um, yeah, no, it was that was hugely influ- influential. I think, right. yeah, that thing was that was great. I, lo- I but I al- really like that movie. I also look at like every time we've had to revisit Shawshank or Green Mile, say for the the Darebont ones, you know, for for the show. The, you just watch them and you're just like, you want to go into Shawshank, going, all right, let's. You, you've been hyped in your own mind. You've been hyped by the world. Let's, you know, let's go ahead and break this down and, and find the, the kink in this armor. And I, every time I watch it, I'm like, this fucking movie's in immaculate. You know, it's, you know, it's like, I don't know. Like there's he, he the batting average on the Stephen King adaptations, there's been stinkers, but very few stinkers have actually been just legit bad and forgettable. You know what I mean? Even the stinkers like have a little charm to them, you know, in some way, shape or form. So um, I think his batting average on being adapted is pretty, pretty are we, high. Are we talking about Thinner here? <laughs> Thinner's an interesting... But even like Thinner and the Mangler, when we've gotten and talked about those, it's those movies are fascinating to talk about. Like, they're kind of hu- tough to get through and, and watch again. Yeah. But like every single time we've hit one of those, they're really interesting to talk about and break down. So, oh, for sure. So, you know, and that's not something I could say about, you know, Dean Koontz adaptations, for example, you know, I I think think he's been fairly lucky. I honestly Uh, think my overall one might be misery now that I think about it. It's just so, you know, Reiner is killing it for one thing. And also he's just, you know, like Stand By Me is great, but it also doesn't capture the horror element of King as much. I think that uh, Misery does that. At that same level, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. James I get Mann. it. Kathy Bates. Yeah, like, yeah. come on, dude. For sure. Well, I think we've, uh, we're have we probably at the end of our time here. So, uh, Bill, this is your, your time to plug whatever you, uh, you oh, want to plug. Oh, what? Yeah. Um, yeah. You guys already kind of plugged it. Barry, season three is coming out next month. So... What's the date? Because I think April, we're going to release this 20, around the April time. April 24th. And uh-huh. uh, no, I'm in the middle of still cutting that and then writing season four. So it's been, yeah, it's like, it's been really busy. But also, y'all y'all got a new series of uh, documentary now. Yeah, they're shooting that in, uh, in uh, overseas right now. And that, that... That show really is now kind of, I got to give credit where credit's due. That That is uh, Reese Thomas and Alex Buno. Like, you know, the the first two seasons was all of us, but, but Reese and Alex have really taken that show and taken it to new places that I think is like just really fascinating. So I didn't have much to do with season three and I don't have much to do with season four because I'm working on Barry. So uh, Reese and Alex have really taken over in a, great way and i think it's just awesome i, I do love how like deep cut that, that series is it is so spectacular if you're if you like watch a lot of documentaries to yeah to, to just the see the thin, different styles the it is such a great episode. idea oh For my god the love of god yeah yeah that one was 
that's one, that's my favorite episode is the Thin Blue Line one. I like we have mm-hmm. actually a guy there's an actor named Gary Krause who's in that that then I put in Barry because I just thought he was so funny in that episode and he's the police chief in Barry. But yeah, that that episode is my favorite. <laughs> I think about uh, those actors in that all the time. They make me laugh. There's a thing we had to cut out of that though because I kept laughing during it where Fred. Um, interrupted my uh, my uh, interview. Uh, or I'm I'm uh, being interviewed, and he comes in, and he's angry because he is he, he's been waiting for like. Um, <laughs> and he comes in, he's like, you know, you tell someone they're going to be interviewed at eleven o'clock, then you stop <laughs> interviewing at eleven o'clock. It's eleven fifteen. This is going over. This is this is not the way to treat people. You don't treat people like this, and I couldn't get through it i kept on having to like look down at his shoes and then one take he came in with a banana in his hand <laughs> and i go and i in the scene was like as a character i was like what's that and he looked at the band and he goes this is my breakfast <laughs> <laughs> i just fell over i could I could not get through it because I never knew when he was coming in. So I would be doing the scene and in the back of my head, I'm like, when's he going to come in? Because he would just wait forever to come in. And then he would just storm in like, all right, all right. You know, when you tell somebody and I would start laughing. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe there's not a clean take of it. You're laughing the whole time. But My, my favorite part in that episode is the reveal that your character is saying like, well, like I forget what was on, uh, like playing on the the tape. Is it Motley oh, Crue? It's poison. Um, poison. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> I knew I knew of this boy. Fuck with my my music. Like it would be, you know, I turn him in a hot Texas. Oh yeah, minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like you don't <laughs> mess with my music. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I care that I'm gonna like. Yeah, fuck up this guy's life or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's the culmination of like so many people just being like, "This guy is so fucking annoying. We have to put him away forever." My favorite thing is, <laughs> yeah, is when I go, I want, I like, I was playing the song, um, "I Want Some Action Tonight," and then it cuts to Fred, and Fred's like, "You know," and I said, "You know, I know what that means." <laughs> and also i will add that i saw the episode of documentary now like the premiere episode before i actually saw great gardens oh wow oh yeah that was a weird flip yeah (laughs) now the uh, yeah anyway i just uh yeah no i the the thin blue line one is i think just a it's like a perfect piece of right. masterpiece. It's one of the best things I've ever been involved in. <laughs> well, ne- next to uh, appearing on the King cast. Of course. Oh, of course. So, yeah, of course. Number yeah. one. Obviously. Uh, this, this random conversation that, that oh, I, yeah, wildly that's that's from Salem's lot to other random no, Stephen King this stuff. Is, yeah, this is, it's cool that you guys are doing this just because, uh, and as we've been talking, I, on my phone ordered revival, and that other one, the hard case one that you took later, about. right? Yeah, so I got those coming in the mail. Uh, you you <laughs> said you had trouble with a lot of King's endings. Revival will not be. You will not have trouble with revival. That is one where he fucking wins the gold. He lands on his feet. And, yeah, I I, I, I uh, 
but you know, I think what like yeah, I'll just say this and we go. But I think the thing that I got from Stephen King is that thing of ever since I started reading Stephen King and especially just kind of reading interviews with him, and I had that like Stephen King companion book when I was in yeah. school and middle school or whatever. And uh, right, is that the one that had like him at his his front gates yeah, or whatever? Front to gates, his... yeah. And there's yeah, there's with a... the bats and all that shit yeah, on the wrought iron. Yes. Yeah, so I have. Yep, I had that one too. And I would read about you know, like interviews with him and stuff. And it made me just kind of be like, Oh, there's nothing wrong with me liking the stuff I like. And you can actually celebrate that and then actually yeah. use it. And it's like to make stuff. And I don't think I ever would have sat down with my mom's typewriter, you know, before we had a personal <laughs> computer and try to write stories. And I, and from that moment on, I carried like always with my book bag, like had a book with me and stuff like that. And all, all of that was like, I felt yeah. like I was given permission to do that from Stephen King, the real legacy of Stephen King. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I totally know exactly I what you're that, talking like, about. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not the, yeah. it's like that thing. Like it was his attitude of like, Oh yeah. Like that had a huge effect on my life. Like I would not be doing what I'm doing today if it just wasn't that, you know what I mean? Like every time I'm like, Oh, I got to write something. It's like, Oh no, this is like a huge gift. You were doing this shit when you were like working, you know, (laughs) a shitty job or something (laughs) and writing, you know what I mean? And like trying to, and writing really terrible scripts and shit like that. And then you just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, it's that's the thing. So like when people go like, oh, what's the Stephen King book that meant the most to you? It's Salem's Lot. But the one that had the biggest impact on me was on writing. Yeah, that one had a huge impact on me. Like it totally yeah. changed the course of it made me go from like, oh, like movie, like guy at a diner with his friends, like bitching about stuff to like, oh, I need to like shut up and try to make stuff. like yeah do the work yeah actually do the work and then you do the work and you're like oh this is hard (laughs) right (laughs) oh i should stop bitching about people making stuff because this is fucking hard you know yep so well uh i those are very great and wise words to end on and i really do appreciate you coming on and i am going to insist that when you read revival if you like it as much as i think you're going to um maybe carve out a little time uh before diving into Barry season four, come back and we can talk yeah, about man, it. Let's do it. Oh, please. Great. So, so, uh, or you're going to hate revival and then we'll, we'll have to, we'll uh, make get into it longer. It'll be a longer podcast. Either way. Yes. It will be interesting, podcast. folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we're, we're going to push the three hour podcast on that one. So, uh, thank you so much, Bill. Thank this you, is, man. this has been a pleasure. A real honor. Oh, thank you guys. Many thanks to Bill Hader for joining us. And for keeping us in the dark for as long as he did, it made for an interesting start to that episode. <laughs> it certainly did. Um, this is us flying by the seat of our pants. We had no idea what we were getting into on this episode. So I think that provides it with a certain unique tone that uh, hopefully our, our listeners will respond to. All right. Well, lucky for us, we've been doing this for almost two years now. So there's very few Stephen King titles that somebody can throw at us that we wouldn't have some ability to bullshit our way. That's through. true. <laughs> it would be kind of interesting if that was the format of the show. Like we didn't know until we got on the air. It would probably prove to be disastrous. Oh, it'd be time. awful. Because then yeah. that's when all the like obscure short stories and stuff would start coming out and we'd have to be sitting there going, uh which one was right. that again? Yeah, oh yeah, shit, yeah. it's an everything's eventual one. Damn it. 
I've cleared four hours out of my schedule. I'm here to talk about Dolores Claiborne. Who's ready to go? I'd be uh, be ready on that one because I actually reread that one because we had a guest book to do that uh, title very early on in the show. And so it was one of the early uh, ones that I actually visited, which is funny because then that guest backed out and then I just got to reread the story. (laughs) And it's a good one. So I would have been able to carry you through that one, Scott. Maybe you'd carry me through some nightmares and dreamscapes. uh, (laughs) <laughs> short stories that I, yes. I totally have forgotten about. Yes, yes. <laughs> Between the two of us, we know everything. Yep, and that's a claim we're prepared to make now and in no way back up in the future. So, mm-hmm. uh, so let's uh, let's talk about uh, next week's festivities. What do yeah. we, we we have an exciting one in the main feed? Do we know? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Next week's main feed episode, we'll be tackling. The book that Stephen King called awful. He said it was an awful book, and we tend to agree, but it's a really fun title to talk about. We are talking about the Tommyknockers next week, and our mm. guests, plural, we got two of them. We got a duo for you next week, are really exciting. Uh, what can we say about these guests? Well, uh, they are the co creators of a very popular TV show that Eric and I are both huge fans of. It's a, it's a great episode, and also we um, I don't necessarily feel as though I tricked anyone into answering a dangling question about the first season of their show. Well, they did that, but also like it it felt sort of like uh, they didn't realize what they were doing in the moment. Was that <laughs> how it felt to you? Oh, for sure. They, they were, the words, well, it's too late now, were uttered. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, so we, we've yeah. got a we've got a couple little mini scoops about uh, what what could be one of your favorite shows um, in here. You're going to get a lot of talk about that show up front. You're going to get a lot of talk about Tommy Knockers. We uh, we went long on this one. We kept them for almost two hours. And a very exciting uh, return of uh, a kiss from Jimmy mentioned that is true we cannot talk about tommy knockers without yes without bringing up a kiss from jimmy i i showed our guests the a kiss from jimmy photo which some of you may recall from uh one of our very first episodes when we had david farrier on the show and um our new guests were i would say uh alarmed by the photo they or at least uncomfortable to some degree. But they also uh, pointed out a detail in the photo that neither one of us had noticed before, which makes true. it even creepier. But we're going to save that for next week. You guys will have to yes. listen to figure out that out. It's a good-ass episode. Get hyped for it. What's going on on the Patreon, Eric? I am so excited to say next week, Chapter 4, Shelbyville. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the title just now. I'm sure we'll, we'll save that for the show card, just in case there are some people who haven't listened to the last episode, because the title of this one has a, a big... Uh, you might be able to go ahead and say it because I'm gonna I might drop it like today while we're recording this on Tuesday because uh, I'm real anxious to get it out there. All right. Well, uh, if you if you want to do it, then I will let you have the honors. You you go ahead and reveal what the title of Chapter Four of Shelby the cha- is. the chapter of uh, Shelbyville Chapter Four is the Ballad of Chut Buggins. Those of you who are longtime listeners of the show know that Chut Buggins is uh, a cornerstone of the mythology of this podcast. And Chet Buggins is actually joining us for this gaming session. He is a uh, a character who we yeah. interact with. He is more uh, than a cameo for sure. There's a full hour of this. Uh, <laughs> a, a sol- we get to know Chet Buggins in person. 
we get to know his methodology and we get to go on a very uh, profound adventure with with Mr. Buggins. It is so much fun. So uh, if you haven't listened to it, uh, Shelbyville is our actual play kind of sideshow that we do uh, that is set in a Stephen King world. So it's kind of like D&D for Stephen King nerds. It's me and Scott and Mallory O'Mara, um, Jacob Hall. And then on this one, we are joined by Chad Buggins. So it is a, a really fun time. Uh, it's growing its own little nice fan base, which I really like. Um, and it's the uh, it's coming up towards the uh, the end of the, the show. This is this is the second to last episode of the first season. Yes, this yeah. episode and the next one both feature a special guest. We're bringing this one in for a, uh, a shocking conclusion over the course of two episodes. But um, we're very excited with how the whole season turned out. We finished it now. We know how it ends. We think people are going to be very happy. But make sure you head on over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the KingCast. You'll get access to all the Shelbyville episodes as they drop uh, and, you know, exclusive commentaries and a bunch of really random Stephen King niche things that we do from time to time. Uh, you mm-hmm. get, if you're only listening to the main feed, you're only getting half the show. So yeah, you're, you're getting spoiled over there on the yeah. Patreon a little bit. I'm a subscriber to a couple of Patreons and I'm just going to say that I feel like we are over delivering. That would be my, <laughs> that would be my, take on the situation that what's happening on the King cast Patreon is so badass that uh, it's something that all men, women and children should want to enjoy. I, I totally agree. So more people need to sign mm-hmm. up to join in on the fun. Great community over there as well. And really good stuff. You're I'm, I'm really proud of the Shelbyville and I can't wait for you guys to hear where this adventure continues to go. Indeed. All right. Well, I suppose that's uh, that's about it for this week. Hell yeah, that's it. So stay tuned next week in the main feed for the Tommy Knockers, and then this Friday, Chapter Four of Shelbyville over at the Patreon. Adios, motherfuckers. The Kingcast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly.